Okay, well, we love to talk up Chris's hair, and rightfully so. I'm here. It's quaffed. It's lovely. I want to get a little closer to it. But I'm sad to say I think I've discovered one hair-based competition I don't think you'd win. I don't know, Wes. Don't count the hair out. What do you got? All right, well, maybe you want to throw down in the USA Mullet Championship. I'll do it for the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. My name is Brent. And my name is Alex. Hello, gentlemen. Well, we have a really fun show today. We took on a challenge. Could a demanding Linux user, someone who demands excellence, live with a reasonably low-cost Linux box? We take a look at a couple of surprising budget Linux PCs I bet you've never even heard of, and we'll see how they hold out. Plus... We've been challenged to put Linux Mint to the test. Is the freshest Mint the best Linux for a low-end PC? We'll give that a shot and tell you our opinions as well. Then we'll round out the show with some great boosts, some picks, and a lot more. So before we go any further, you know it's our duty. we got to say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello, Chris, Wes, Brandon. There's so many names today. (laughs) A very strong Mumble Room. Wow. So great. Hello, everybody, and hello, all of you up there in the quiet listening as well. Very nice to have you along for the show today. I also want to say good morning over to our friends over at Tailscale. Tailscale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. We love it, and it's going to change your networking game. It's going to blow your mind. Go see what WireGuard is capable of. Oh, and say good morning, too. Go over there. I don't care what time of day it is. Say good morning from Linux Unplugged at Tailscale.com. Go try it up to 20 devices free. You can wish them good night, too. I suppose. I just like the idea of it's always morning at Tailscale, you know? It's always a good morning over at Tailscale. Okay, so we got to start the show off with the meetups. You know, we've been talking about meetups. We've been talking about meetups. And I know I've listened to podcasts where I'm like, well, that meetup doesn't apply to me. I wish they didn't talk about it all the time. But here, here's the thing, everybody. Here's the thing. These meetups are a bigger deal than I think you appreciate until you can attend them. And that's kind of why we continue to talk about them is because once you go to a meetup, You experience a kind of connection that I think is, I don't know, it's almost like built into us that we need that kind of social connection with our with our tribe. And so it can be re-energizing. It it can be profound in a lot of ways. And so we just had a couple of them wrap up. And that's one of the reasons Alex is here today. How you feeling, Alex? Good morning. I know you just woke up a little a little bit before the show. You just got back home. How was the meetup and everything? How was your flight and all of that stuff? Well, I'm not going to lie, Chris. You probably hear it in my voice. I'm a little tired right now. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. You got, you got a little bit of that frog. Uh, flight was fine. Uh, you know, 18-month-old toddler on a nine-hour fart tube flight. What could go wrong? <laughs> we only had one uh, meltdown that was, uh, I don't know. Like, if, if anybody that's listening is a parent and has been in that situation where your kid is just hyperventilating from the crying on the plane, uh-huh. you just feel helpless in that moment like you want the child to be okay you want all the people to not be there it's just yeah that was that was a fun moment but the meetup made it all worthwhile and uh we got a clip from the meetup from our buddy joe resington to just give us uh, a quick flavor of the event hello and welcome everyone to late night self-hosted after dark in the park (laughs) 
That's so great. You can hear the whole thing in Late Night Linux 190, which is going to come out on August 15th. But I think it's pretty great that Joe joined. And so you've got the Late Night Linux crew there. You've got the JB crew there. It's a big conspiracy to make us as jealous as possible. Yeah, I was watching some. I, I was looking from afar, watching some of the pictures come in thinking, man, I wish I could have been there. It was a beautiful evening. So to set the scene, we're in this uh, Jubilee Park and Gardens just underneath the London Eye down by the River Thames on the South Bank. Uh, and there's just, you know, groups of people peppered around on the grass, you know, having a little picnic and stuff. You know, mid-twenties in the temperature, a little bit of sunshine. It was just the perfect evening to be outside with a group of friends. And a pretty good crowd, too. Uh, it looks like you got, what, nearly 100 folks there? So almost as many people that signed up or more? Well, I took with me 75 stickers, uh, 150 stickers, sorry. And <laughs> uh, I had two packs and I, ca I came back with one unsealed pack. So uh, by my count, there were 74 people plus a random lady that decided to come and sit behind Joe and I whilst we were recording. And we <laughs> there was this moment where we, we were in the middle of this show about 20 minutes in and this just random lady comes and sits like, you know, a foot behind me. And I'm like, oh, this is going to go south. She, what is, what is, because you know, I could see the, the cider in her hand. And I was like, hmm, is she drunk? Is she going to cause problems? And, uh, you know, she didn't. She sat there the whole time. And then uh, after we finished, I was, you know, a shout out to anybody. Has, has anybody not got a sticker? Because I was very insistent that everybody got a sticker because it was basically my counter for attendance. <laughs> Good idea, Alex. And she, she went, yeah, I'll take a sticker. I'm like, sorry, who are you? And she went, do you need to know? And I was like, hmm, no, I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this location is just so beautiful. It's got the Ferris wheel. Of course, you can see the rivers right there. Uh, a huge crowd, it looks like, actually. Look at that crowd. Yeah, so the thing about the South Bank down, down by the Thames there is you get a lot of street performers and they, they gather crowds of two, 300 people at a time and their shows last 10 minutes and, and then at the end you give them a, a couple of quid to say thank you. Um, and so it's just this really nice family relaxed vibe down by the river, which is exactly what I was going for with the, the location. So worked out great. And, you know, the fact that we had 75 or so people show up as well, you know, it was, I was very, very pleased. And uh, we had people from all over. We had some, I think the furthest that, that you know, by myself, the people came was the Czech Republic. We had two or three Norwegians there. There was a couple of Dutch people there. I know Bites in the mumble room today. I met Bite at the meetup as well. That was nice. I spent some uh, money to be there for one day. <laughs> Did you? Was it kind of expensive to get there? Yeah, uh, even taking the train is uh, uh, enormously expensive. I found one of the cheaper flights, uh, but then I made a little mistake by taking the train back to the airport and paying forty pounds for a one-way trip and uh, some other little mistakes that made the trip a bit more expensive than I would like. But yeah, it's not. Uh, it can't be beaten by something else. Lessons learned for next year, right? So that way, if Wes and I make it out there next year... Mm, you, can, <laughs> you can be our tour again. Yeah, but you get what I'm saying too, right, Alex? You get that kind of uh, that charge by being around people that want to talk about the same stuff, are excited about the same stuff, follow the shows. It's really fun. It's very surreal meeting a group of complete strangers that know a lot about yeah. you and you know nothing about them because this medium's a very one-way, for the most part, a very one-way medium, you know? Very weird. People are like, oh, how's your mother-in-law's internet work? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we talked about that in Self-Hosted, didn't we? That's how, that's how you know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you oh, do well. get a few things like that for sure. They might know more than we know about ourselves at times. And then you want to know how you know that uh, Alex is truly a party animal is that Brent managed to talk him into going to another meetup when he got back to what? Raleigh. Yeah. Yeah, they got back at about 2 p.m. here local time in Raleigh. And uh, since I'm, you know, to give a little context, I was house sitting while Alex was away. So, but I organized a little sneaky little micro meetup here in Raleigh, thanks to our Matrix room. It was amazing. Uh, hi, this is Brent from Raleigh. I found an Alex. Uh, apparently, he's doing two days, two continents, and two JB meetups. Hi, Alex. And I even have some stickers left for this one. That <laughs> is planning. It's true. They've been right re-imported <laughs> for this purpose. Absolutely. Uh, and I found a few people. Hi. Hello. 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 We've got, what, how many are we? Six? Six of us, and we're having a great time. A Raleigh rabble. <laughs> a Raleigh Raleigh. <laughs> Sounds like you're really enjoying yourselves. Yeah, we had a great time. I, I think it was probably a very different energy than the London meetup, right, Alex? Well, uh, I think I was awake for like hour 16 when we sat down. Um, or at 18. Uh, by the time we left, I was a little bit drunk with tiredness, wasn't I? Not even <laughs> from the beer I'd had. Yeah, easily. But you made it. It was a great time. We probably laughed more than anything. We had some good food and it was uh, a nice low key thing. And I hope the whole idea with these sort of regional based matrix rooms is that um, some of these meetups can happen on a regular basis and maybe even without JB folks. So we hope that I think we can facilitate that for listeners. Right. That does seem to be happening. That we have a listener that emailed into Office Hours that wants to start organizing meetups on their own with just other JB listeners. I love it. I think we'll cover it a bit more in self-hosted as well, no doubt, talking about the meetup. But uh, for anybody that's listening to this show that was in London or in Raleigh last night, uh, huge thanks for showing up. I got a huge amount of energy from you all to continue doing this for a lot longer. You know, it's it's... It's weird sitting in your own room just talking into a microphone. It feels a little bit disconnected from reality sometimes. And uh, to actually connect in meat space with real human meat bags that have been listening, <laughs> it's it, it's hard to describe really. But thank you all for coming. It means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the, to more meetups too because it's just you want to keep it rolling. I kind of loved it too. You know, I was, I was a little distracted, but I, I could see the the various channels in Matrix just, just exploding with little pics and it made mm -hmm. me feel like I was I was almost there in a yeah. way. Yeah, it was nice to watch the London meetup and then the Raleigh group later. Uh, and like, you know, happens often at these events, some gifts were given as well. My name is Philip and I brought some retired raspberry pies that have been collecting dust and I thought maybe you could put them to good use. Uh, that is super generous. Now, when you say retired what exactly do you mean and how old are they and what have they been used for uh they are several years old actually i can't remember how old they are one is a raspberry pi 3 which is quite a bit older and one is a raspberry pi 4 uh, they started out as a home assistant of course uh and then i kind of moved on from home assistant uh, to uh, home kit uh and had grand designs to do other projects with them and never got around to it. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Um, well, thank you for bringing gifts. We didn't ask for gifts, but this is super amazing. Thank you. You're very welcome. That is so great, you know? And everybody's got a Raspberry Pi these days they're not using. So you, instead of feeling guilty about it, you could gift to Brentley, who has been a Raspberry Pi short, 
you know? Not anymore. Thanks to no. our wonderful listeners. Now you're Raspberry Pi rich. You know, Philip did also reveal a little later, which I unfortunately didn't get on audio, but he did reveal that his upgrade that sort of replaced these Raspberry Pis is now running Umbral, and uh, he's really loving it. That is great. Boy, he's right in sync, isn't he? Although he went from Home Assistant to HomeKit, and uh, my humble opinion, usually you want to go from HomeKit to Home Assistant, but uh, no judgment. Oh, no home automation shame on the show. <laughs> no, Come on. No, no judgment. Now, Alex, we got a little gift from London as well, didn't we? We did. Listener Thor, who came in from Norway, has gifted the network one of these remarkable e-ink tablets. Remarkable is the brand name uh, of, of the thing. It's this iPad-sized e-ink tablet display annotation device, note-taking device. Uh, and so we're going to let Brent put it through its paces over the next week or two before he comes to see you, Chris. That's fun. Now, is it a touchscreen as well? Yes. You know, I've explored it for about 38 seconds so far. So the journey begins now, and uh, I think I'll put it through its paces. It'll It'll see a few airplanes and cars and hopefully trains as well so we'll see how it does thank you by the way i can't help but think that the best job for that would be a low power home assistant dashboard that's displaying you info but yeah buddy you turn everything into a dashboard that's true i would say please send in your ideas i would love to find about you know 20 different ways to use this thing so send them in what os do we know currently it says out of battery Uh, is that an os I, I'm wondering if it's a Linux. If anybody knows, let it send it in. Are you suggesting the poor battery life is a Linux thing? <laughs> no, it must be Android then. <laughs> hey, oh. All right. So the next round of meetups is nigh. Uh, we have a whole swath of West Coast meetups. So go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Wes, you caught this in the news recently, but it looks like NASA is going all in on the Linux copters. Uh, the. Future plans, I guess, for Mars exploration are going to include a set of two helicopters for like the next rover. It's going yeah. to come with two of them. They're also thinking of having them pick up samples for additional like re- missions to return those samples to Earth. So how about that? Yeah. So that's amazing. Ingenuity has not only, I think, exceeded expectations, but it's it's clearly set the path forward for future space exploration. With Linux copters. That's just so awesome. When we get down to JPL, I hope to get a chance to talk to Tim about this specifically and just kind of get his take on this. And, you know, if this wasn't kind of the long goal, maybe they didn't want to outwardly say it, but I got to imagine they were kind of hoping if this all worked out, this is where things were going. I wonder if we can get any tips to, like, make our own Linux copter. You know, they're not going anywhere. I kind of want one now. You could ask Tim yourself, dear listener. Just get your name in the hat. Go to linuxunplugged.com slash JPL. We have 15 slots available to our audience to take a personalized tour of JPL, and uh, we'll be pulling names from that hat as the event gets closer. So that's linuxunplugged.com slash JPL, and that's just a simple NextCloud form that we have that you can fill out. And then we also have our West Coast crew matrix room where we are organizing with locals along the West Coast and figuring out where people are at. We'd love to have you join us there as well. That's in our matrix colony. And uh, details for all the meetups, the individual meetups we're stopping at, from Oregon down to Southern California at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. All right. I think that's everything with that. The meetups take a big part of the show during the summer, but they're super important to us. So we want to dedicate some time to that. You know what? There's not always a lot else going on. That's true. It is the summer. A lot of developers, especially the ones outside the U.S., they do this crazy thing called vacation. 
And I think some of them are even taking like six weeks off at a time. I, I don't know. I, they must not get paid for it, I'm sure. And they probably have all their medical coverage suspended because, they, you know, it's tied to their job, of I'm course, sure. Of so, course, of course, yeah. Because otherwise that wouldn't, that wouldn't make any sense. It would be completely unfair. And that's not how we would do it in the States, right, guys? <laughs> uh, but it's cool. So development slows down a little bit sometimes. Are you all right over there? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> extra, extra patriotic today. Yeah, I just that's just one thing that you know. Whatever. Let's talk about saving money because some of us, you know, we don't need to be blowing money right now on expensive computers that can do the job perfectly fine. This is great too for friends and family, people that just want a go-to Linux machine. And you know, here's one tip that remember to remember tweeted at me that I think is is really the key one. It's just got to remember to shop with Linux in mind when you're looking for this stuff. Just like you would if you're going to buy something for the Mac, you got to shop with the Mac in mind. It's a little less of a problem on Windows, but let's be honest, you got to do it on Windows too because you could end up with something that has really crap drivers and that just makes your whole system suck. So you really got to kind of shop careful on Windows you too. Know, pick which third-party weird driver applications you want running on your box. Right, which auto-updater that starts every time your Windows box boots, which one do you want? So, you know, it's, to say it's a compromise to have to kind of shop with Linux in mind and compatibility in mind, I just disagree. I think that's just the state of computing. But I just wanted to put that up front. Everything we're going to talk about today, you just kind of want to shop with Linux compatibility in mind. And today I want to talk about four cheap Linux PCs. And I use that term generously. I don't mean cheap as in quality. I just mean cheap as in price. And I want to tell you about four I found. And then I, and if you guys have any suggestions, too, I definitely want to hear those. Um, First, starting with not one that I have tried personally, but I heard about this from Adam Curry, and it just seems like a crazy good deal. Right now, brand new from Amazon, 160 US greenbacks for a B-Link Mini SPC with an 11th gen Intel N5095 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, and 128 gigabyte SSD. I think it ships with Windows 11, but you can put Linux on there. It's 160 bucks new, and they even have like a $10 off coupon right now. <laughs> it's crazy. So 150 bucks for a brand new 11th gen Intel PC that'll run Linux. That's kind of like just from start right there. But maybe you want to go even cheaper. Maybe you're really on a budget. Maybe it's for, you know, maybe it's for your kids. Maybe it's for yourself and you just don't want to spend a lot of money on this kind of stuff right now. I want to tell you about a machine that I got since the last episode. It is the Acer Switch 1 Intel Atom Z8300 1.4 gigahertz laptop. And it's one of these that you can uh, flip the screen around and uh, run Linux as a tablet if you have the right distro. So some people are into that, you know, convertible style. Uh, I have it here with me in the studio right now. Oh, it's, hey. It's about the size of an 11-inch, you know, or a so iPad with the keyboard. It reminds me back of the days of, like, the netbook era, you know, kind of that size. Yeah. And then, of course, you can flip the screen around and do those kinds of shenanigans. Although, I don't know if I actually would ever try that. Here's the problem. I haven't tried this machine personally because I got it off eBay. And the bastard didn't include the power down. Oh, no. Didn't even, I forget. And of it. course, it's some random barrel one, right? So I'm just mentioning this because $45. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> $45. Yes, it's an Atom, but $45. That's like, you're, you're in pie price. And now. you could have basically a tablet PC with a keyboard, and Linux is going to run just fine on there, right? Chris, what's the, what's the age of this thing? Well, the Intel Atom X5 is pretty old. I mean, it's not, it's not a brand new machine. I think it's like a 2015 model. Again, you're not going to get the latest and greatest for under 100 bucks. But, you know, to have something under 100 bucks that you could put Linux on, it's nice to have that option. Right? I think this is the episode where you're putting on like the used car salesman vibe. You know, let me put you in an Intel Atom. This is a previously loved laptop. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> with a special undercoating. You're right. It is very tablet-like in that like a bunch of the ports and stuff seem to be in on the screen side. And then the, the keyboard yeah. is, you know, really just kind of like a keyboard that's attached. Right. And it's got a front and back camera <laughs> on the screen. Oh, perfect for selfies. So that's an interesting one. Uh, but now I want to tell you about a really practical one. This is just another hot crisp pick here. Uh, this is one that I personally own. I actually bought this machine to run as, to test it as potentially a replacement for Jupes's home server to replace my Raspberry Pi 4. But in the end, I decided the I.O. was too limiting. And so this is the IdeaPad 3 14 IML 5 128 gigabyte SSD Intel Pentium Gold 2.4 gigahertz. Uh, this one came with 4 gigs of RAM, but the bottom pops right off and you can upgrade basically all the components but it's very it's very serviceable in that regard the ram and the hard drive are accessible in the ideapad 3 and it's actually a pretty good little laptop it's got a decent size to it it's got a decent trackpad it's got a good keyboard for this price range doesn't look bad i mean it doesn't stand out but that's kind of what you want in a right. laptop like it's this. just a simple thinkpad it's of the kind of older thinkpad styling because it's a little bit older and it has the intel gold cpu which means it has quick sync which is one of the reasons i bought it but that might be useful to you Check that out there, Wes. So that one's a little heavier. This one goes for $260. It's not bad, though, and it's it's well-weighted. It does not feel off-kilter or off-access when I'm holding it in here, which I like. Yeah, it is, it is got, it's got a lot of the pros of a well-designed Lenovo. It's a little old, but I still, think that, uh, I still think that Intel Pentium Gold CPU is actually a pretty good little chip. So um, I think overall, that's like, out of all of the list, that's going to be my most practical recommendation right here. Now, Chris, I see you have a dongle dangling off that thing. Um, is there a specific purpose for that that you're using it for? Yeah, you could have taken these off before you handed it to me. Well, it doesn't have Ethernet built in. So that is an Ethernet dongle just because I, I likes to have it wired sometimes. And that's not too uncommon at this price point is to not get Ethernet in there. Or at the higher price points, too. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right about that. Uh, this next one I'm about to talk about doesn't have Ethernet, but it's not because um, they're being cheap. It's because it literally wouldn't fit on the hardware. This one's a lot of fun, guys. This is something really special. I don't even I don't even know how I didn't know about this. It's called the Acer Mini PC, and it was sold in a Cloud Professor kit. It's a whole kit that uh, comes. Well, you can't just say Cloud Professor kit like that and assume we know what that means. <laughs> Try it. Open it up here, Wes. I brought it into the studio. This is the Cloud Professor kit, and maybe you could describe what's in there. Take a look while I talk about this device. <laughs> so um, this device is smaller than a Chromecast in overall size, or about the size of a Chromecast. It has a 1.4 gigahertz CPU, 2 gigabytes of RAM, 16 gigabytes of hard drive space. It has an HDMI out. It's, it, they managed to put USB-A on the thing. And they have what seems to be like a, a micro SD type slot mm. and a mini USB slot, power, probably for power. The thing fits literally in the palm of my hand. It is absolutely tiny and it comes pre-installed with Linux on it. Okay, so it looks like this thing is targeted. Like, is this a PC to use while you're making Arduino? Yeah, it's for training. Em embedded. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this kit actually comes with an Arduino in the box too, so you can connect it. Yeah, it's got a nice little uh, seed shield here, too. So you get a whole kit with a book. You get the kit. Temperature sensor, light sensor. You can make some fun projects with this. Yes. And it is 38 U.S. dollars. 38 U.S. dollars. 
Now, I think we also you get to call, call yourself a cloud professor after you've bought <laughs> right. this, right? So that's also a big benefit. Well, it's on the it's on the thing. So it says it also comes with a badge. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a so it's an Atom it's a it's a five it's a fifth gen Atom CPU so it's an x86 CPU it's smaller than a Raspberry Pi in terms of overall width but it's about the length of a Raspberry Pi board and you could just slap that on the back of one of these studio monitors it's obviously yeah. fanless and, it, and with the HDMI out mm. you could hook it up to anything that takes HDMI it's totally silent this has me rethinking the Raspberry Pi for a lot of things and that's what I want to use this for is what I might use a Pi for but I want x86 compatibility. Whoa, okay. So you kind of undersold this whole segment. You know, it, it, interesting, yeah. yeah. But really it's a, a titanic shift in how you're deploying things Well, home, we'll see. Maybe. I mean, there's uh, they're cheaper and more available than a Raspberry Pi. That's just the reality of it right now. Hopefully more successful than the Titanic though, Wes. Oh, <laughs> we'll see about that. I mean, that's probably why they're going for 30 bucks or 40 bucks on eBay, right? <laughs> I mean, I do think it's interesting, though, any time you mention the Pi and the fact that you have, you know, you have, what, five or six, and we had Josh on Self-Hosted a few weeks ago who has 47 or something crazy. Like, mm-hmm. the, the first place that my mind goes to has always been, just get a single x86 box and replace all of them, and you'll save power, you'll save money. These days, definitely save money. So it's interesting to see you finally go down this path. Yeah, that's how I actually got the idea pad. Is I was thinking, well, one x86 box, a little more powerful. It has quick sync on there, so it'd be great for Jellyfin or Plex. And then I just wasn't really happy with the overall availability. And I thought, well, if I'm really going to go to the extreme, something like a Raspberry Pi that's x86 would be the way to go. And this thing, as far as I can tell, runs off of a micro USB for power. So the power consumption is going to be nothing, right? How cool is that? What do you think, Wes? You're holding it right now. Yeah, I mean it's nice. It's it's a it's a good little form factor. I like that there's a full size USB three on here, right? So it seems it seems kind of sure. Could it have a few more plugins? You're gonna need dongles maybe, but what it is for the price, yeah, seems worth a shot. Yeah, so it's the Acer Mini PC with an Atom CPU, or you could just search for the Cloud Professor. Um, <laughs> it is what it is, guys. That's just what they call it. I mean, I think they I think you can find them on eBay without the whole kit as well. But I kind of wanted the kit. I mean, why not get the Arduino? <laughs> you, know? you may be able to sell the Arduino for $38 and uh, get your money back. Well, what's, I, I don't know. I think I want to give it away. I think I want to give the whole kit away after I play with it for a little bit. That's so, a nice idea. Yeah. I'll, so I'll keep it all together so that way we can just package the box back up and ship it out to a, a listener in the future. So uh, I'll put links to all of the eBay listings to these uh, in, the, in the show notes. If you want to if you want to try it out. I, do any of you guys have like a, a really just quick go-to budget linux pc we got some recommendations that came in from the audience that we're going to get to as well but we'll get to those yeah, in a bit i do it's the hp 290 slim it's one of these old thin client boxes i think it's eighth gen intel cpus they used to be available for under a hundred dollars i think it's closer to 150 now but typically these things come with the celeron g4900 which has very capable quick sync performance uh it's been running my blue iris box now for a couple of years just does the job comes with a 500 gigabyte spinner i think from most ebay sellers uh, i upgraded that to a, a sata or an m.2 sata or an mvme ssd i can't remember which uh, so for under 200 dollars, uh, i've got a, a very capable box that's i know it's running windows i know you asked for a linux box but it would run linux just fine that's a great recommendation we got a suggestion too for uh, a dell wise thin client from an anonymous listener the 5070 thin client and uh, they said that it actually works pretty well for them 120 dollars shipped 
They added a 512 gigabyte M.2 and two 8 gig sticks of RAM. The whole thing off of Amazon is like 105 bucks after they added the upgrades, you know. And then you buy the ThinkCline itself for 120. You put it all together, you're under 300 bucks. And he says you got a great, or they say you've got a great Linux learning machine. So it's the Wise 5070 ThinkCline. So two ThinkCline recommendations. I have been kind of decently surprised at some of those lower end, you know, the Atoms and the Celeron line, even these days. Like, if you don't need to do much, you're not doing serious crunching. It works. Right. The thing is about the Celeron that's in the uh, HP box I recommended with QuickSync, all of the hard processing is going through through a hardware chip, you know, so all the threads are doing is just keeping the OS going, really. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it works for the iPad. Why, why not here, right? You just got to have the right software-hardware combo, and that's where looking for something with QuickSync can make that. Um, we got a recommendation from Colin, I believe. Was it, Brent? Uh, we actually got this recommendation twice, so I think it's probably a good one. Uh, Colin and Antal also suggested this one. It's a Minis Forum Desk Mini UM350 Ryzen Mini PC. And this one ships with Manjaro pre-installed on it, it looks like. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a maybe a little higher budget. It's at the $299. It's currently on sale for $299, um, but directly it's brand new. And so I think you can buy it directly from Minis Forum and a whole bunch of other places, eBay. You can get it on Amazon as well. And I saw it. I didn't click into it, but I also saw a link at Walmart. So I don't know what that's about. But it seems like Minis Forum, which is new to me, uh, has an interesting catalog of small and not too expensive machines that are worth checking out. I love this tip. This looks like it'd be a great podcasting machine you know, oh, for doing recordings yeah. and whatnot there. What I love about Linux is that you can actually build a really awesome budget machine and not feel like, you know, bad about it. Like there is, there's something about the Linux community where it can actually be kind of, it can be kind of an awesome, like cool guy thing to do to like go down low end, right. And, and, and make it work with the lowest end PC where it always seems like in windows, especially when you get to the gaming culture, it's always skews towards the biggest graphics card, the fastest CPU, the fastest machine, all of the lights, all the RGB lighting you possibly can stuff in there, liquid cooling, just to the absolute maximum extreme. And it, that's just like only accessible to such a small amount of people. But in the Linux community, we also will celebrate the really low end and try to make that work and try to find these cool little budget machines that can get a crap ton of work done for you at a great price. And I love that it's the same Linux, too, you know, because couldn't you just imagine on some of these lower end machines like other vendors are going to ship a more limited op operating system. But right. We get the we get the same. It doesn't Linux. come with like Windows starter edition. No, right. No. <laughs> That's a great point. I think what I find really amazing and something that I guess I, I have lived this lifestyle for the last many years, uh, you know, with my low-end hardware that I somehow make productive. We've got our low-end expert Brent in the house. <laughs> our low-end correspondent. Just checking in here. <laughs> what I have really loved, and and it, that was true since the beginning of my Linux journey, was that you can, you can throw Linux on some of this lower-end hardware and it performs in a way that other operating systems at least other popular op operating systems just can't even match, can't even come close. You know, if you are choosing something like, I don't know, Joe's XFCE favorite or lesser pro process intensive desktop environments. CPU challenged machines. <laughs> yeah, right. I think um, it's kind of amazing that you can run that on uh, really what fits in your, the palm of your hand. You know, that's uh, right. I think one of Linux's major strengths is it can do that and it can be, you know, the top hundred supercomputers as well. 
I agree. So the question becomes, which distribution is the right? You got a lot of choice, but only one can be king. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's a great way to show your support for the show. Linode is definitely the Linux geeks cloud. They've got 11 data centers around the world, and they've been hard at work at building something awesome for nearly 19 years because they saw the trajectory of Linux almost 20 years ago. I can relate to that, and it's that passion that they've built this business on top of. And if you like to build these systems up from the ground yourself or have the option to deploy one of their many one-click stacks, Linode has excellent options for you. And the thing I can say confidently is the performance is incredible. I just wouldn't put all of our JB audience-facing stuff on Linode if it wasn't the case, but it's not just me saying that. StablePoint listed Linode as the fastest-growing cloud provider and the best fit for low-latency-based use cases thanks to Linode's high-performing MVME storage. But you know this. It's not just the storage that makes it low-latency. It's the fact that they are their own ISP, that they've hyper-optimized their data centers, and they know how to build these things efficiently. And they're always cramming in the latest and greatest hardware, just smoothly and elegantly upgrading your systems as you go. And they have a bunch of great back-end features. S3-compatible object storage is one of my absolute favorite cloud firewalls, DDoS protection, VLAN support, Kubernetes support, including now the, you know, Ansible and Terraform, too. I mean, Kubernetes is like the go-to, but let's be real. Let's be real. I know a ton of people out there using Ansible to manage their Linode systems. I mean, maybe they're doing the whole stack. I don't know. But I hear from the audience all the time. They're deploying stuff on Linode using Ansible. And it makes sense. Pricing's 30 to 50% cheaper than other major cloud providers out there that want to lock you into their esoteric hyperscaler platform. They've got the best support in the business. Nobody can touch it because nobody's built their business model like Linode has. So if you run into any trouble getting set up, Linode comes with amazing 24-7 customer support phone ticket. They'll answer the phone and a human's going to help you. Linode is dedicated to offering the best in virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. So go try it today. Learn for yourself. Take advantage of that $100 offer and support the show. You can do it all by going to linode.com slash unplugged. That's linode.com slash unplugged. It's that time of year again. We've got ourselves a new Linux Mint LTS. 21 Vanessa. And you know, with impeccable timing, we also got a relevant bit of feedback. A boost from Tim Apple. 2,222 sets. New Mint is out. It rarely gets love from any of the Linux podcasts. It'd be great to get you guys to live with it for a week. Or maybe just make Wes do it. That's my favorite part of the email. Ouch. Or the boost. Dang it. I mean, yeah. I love you, Tim Apple, but throwing me right under that bus. Yeah, I think, you know, he wants to He wants to hear your thoughts. Um, So could Mint be on a minimum viable machine? Is it the right distribution for that? There's a lot of choices. And I think for the purposes of these types of machines that we're going to be talking about today, we should just stick with the cinnamon flavor. I don't, you know, because there's a lot of ways you can go, but let's just talk about mint cinnamon. Are you, uh, you boys okay with that? Agreed? Well, let's do it. So Linux Mint 21 is notable because it's been rebased onto Ubuntu 22.04, and it will be supported until 2027. So if you invest now, you get some, you get some use out of it. Yeah, and... So this, I think, if you're a Mint user today, might be worth listening to as well. But it also means if you're going to buy a machine, you want it to last a few years, which is one of the requirements we set. This install will be good until 2027, which is about the lifetime we expect from some of these budget machines. 
And so there is a lot of small improvements, but it's not nothing super major to end users, but to the development team, I think some big stuff went into this. It is really the release where Muffin, which is the compositor and window manager for Cinnamon, saw a lot of a lot of work. Muffin was originally based on GNOME's Mutter 3.2 release. GNOME 3.2, which is like forever ago. Yeah, well, it's been forked for like 11 years now. Yes. That's a long time to maintain something like that. Yes. And they completely rebased it around the GNOME 3.36 code base now. So Muffin has been totally rejuvenized and completely rebased. And as a result, I think you feel the performance throughout Mint. And there's a lot of nice little visual tweaks and improvements that are also taking advantage of that newer code base. Linux Mint 21 also features improved Bluetooth handling. They replaced the Blueberry subsystem with Blueman. Their own X apps have seen a lot of improvements throughout this. Uh, Printing and scanning have gotten improvements. And then there's just some general artwork and theming improvements because of the advantages they got by updating Muffin. So there's a lot in this one. And I decided to, to try to get an idea, try to get my head around how much horsepower does a fully up-to-date, lived in it you know, for a little bit, Mint install actually take? And I went through a process of, of loading it up on a couple of different systems and trying to get baseline ideas of how much uh, resources I should expect. I feel like this is kind of perfect timing, too, because you've, you've been tweaking yourself a real nice GNOME setup, right? And kind of just you know on the other side of the fence now, checking out how Cinnamon's been doing. Yeah, I've been really deep down the NixOS as my desktop using GNOME. And so this was a bit of a, a shift going from NixOS to Mint. I mean, talk about two totally different approaches to Linux. Right. Dramatically, right? Because NixOS is essentially a rolling OS, totally super fresh. And you just mentioned how Mint went 12 years without really updating the backend compositor to their desktop, right? So it's a, it's a real different approach, but different strokes. There's some people who just really like the Ubuntu base and they want a really solid workstation that well, lasts. And years. you see stuff like with their like improvements to the thumbnail support where they, because they kind of been, you know, just incrementally improving. There's some areas like that where it's, it's can be really nice. Yeah. It's polished. And it's, it's interesting to me how you get this true sense of a classic Linux desktop. For those of us who remember, there are elements of the cinnamon desktop that strike this balance between GNOME and plasma. And it brings in stuff that was in GNOME two, which we used to call GNOME. It has applets that you can just like right click and you can add a system monitor to the tray. You know, these things that are just sort of used to come built into GNOME 2. But then like Plasma, it'll also let you download new ones and install them. The UI is a little rough. It could be better. You know, it'd be nice to have click and drag and stuff like that, but it's fine. It really has like the, that feel of classic Linux, like even the options, the ones that it makes like a drawer where you can have, you can stack more icons in, in your tray and old notes apps that are forked from apps I used to love back in the day. I don't know if maybe this is only going to make sense to certain people, but. If you're a kid of the 90s, it's like when you get an old car of the 90s, it was a car in transition, right? Maybe you've updated the stereo, so it's got like a newer stereo, but it's got the old components of a 90s dash, but it's got some new modules in it that like can play MP3s that didn't even exist when the car was built. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's what the Mint experience is to me. And it's not necessarily bad. It's kind of a nostalgic feeling. There's a sort of comfort to it in that like I know how to operate that desktop already, yeah. you know? I'm yeah. familiar with the paradigm. And to be honest with you, there's just things about it that are simpler in a lot in a lot of ways. And with this, you know, last couple of versions of Mint, they've been 
doing a decent enough job of integrating FlatHub and FlatPaks. Well, not FlatHub, but FlatPaks into Mint. And now, now with software FlatHub, and they feel pretty much right at home on the Mint desktop. It's very much a fully loaded Linux. So I thought, oh, it's going to be too bloated for these low-end PCs because, you know, it comes with like streaming TV app, uh, the entire LibreOffice by default, you know, these those things that I just don't do anymore. But when I when I put it to the test and I'm talking to like loaded it up, got it all up to date, got logged into my Firefox, you know, got my stuff the way I like it. Like trying to do some work, get some stuff done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After about four hours of average use. Now, this is without electron apps. 1.6 gigabytes of RAM being used, just 1.6 gigs of RAM. <laughs> That's impressive. Right. Not mad at all. My lowest end machine had two gigs of RAM and the average is four gigs or above at everything I looked at. A lot of them have eight gigs and 16 gigs. So using 1.6 gigs of RAM, that's, you're going to get by with that. You're going to be fine. 13 gigabytes of disk space used. Every machine I looked at had at least 16 gigs. A lot of them had 128 or more, right? So six, I'm sorry. So 13 gigabytes of disk space. And that includes the kitchen sink. It's pretty impressive. And Cinnamon's performance. It holds up. It really holds up. I actually think Mint may be one of the top contenders for a low-end PC after doing my testing. I didn't really know how it would turn out, but I was actually very impressed. I think I'd like to compare it to other desktops, like yeah. Pop comes to mind. I'd like to see how Pop you know, compares. Um, I did play around with a really minimal configured Plasma desktop, but I, maybe it's just my usage. I didn't get it that low on on uh, RAM and disk. It, it ended up being more RAM and more disk with a plasma desktop version. So I just, I want, I was curious. I've kind of found cinnamon decent um, when I'm just casually playing some steam games and stuff. I feel like I end up fighting with it less than I do with some other sort of setups, you know, where it doesn't understand my full screen window or wants to steal focus back or just won't hide itself at the right time. They they've done a good job now too for years, but even more so now of integrating TimeShift, the snapshot management tool. Right. And they've taken it over now as the primary developers of TimeShift and because I like to be a jerk, I decided to install um, Mint with ButterFS. I did the manual partitioning option, yes, and then and then did the ButterFS option, just because I thought like, well, let's see what happens when I do this. Actually, it didn't boot properly on my Dev One <laughs> that I tested. I don't know if that was why, but then if I if I used the Dev One you know built in BIOS boot menu and manually selected the UEFI file, it would boot fine. Might have just been a Dev One thing. Don't know. So I decided let's try it, and when I loaded up TimeShift. Like you'd expect, but it was really good to see. Time shift goes, hey, you've got ButterFS. Would you like me to go with ButterFS mode instead of rsync mode? And so it just starts working with ButterFS snapshots right then and there. Isn't that nice? It is. And then they've built in this back-end process monitor to let you know kind of like when things are happening in the back-end, like a time shift backup. So you get kind of like this really subtle notification thing. Just, hey, there's some back-end stuff happening here. Your machine might be running a little slow. Makes me feel kind of comfortable. I know I've um, had Mint machines in the past deployed at like fa- friends and families or that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't need it to be super rock solid necessarily, but like just this extra layer of protection, peace of mind. Doesn't it feel like, and you guys tell me if you disagree, but doesn't it feel like if your back's up against the wall and you got to recommend a Linux distro to somebody who's on a little bit lower end hardware and you just want it to be one of those set it and forget it things because you can't help them later Mint feels like a pretty safe one to recommend. Like it feels like you give that to a to a person that maybe isn't super technical. It seems like with some of the X apps, with like having like a, yeah. a thought of like, hey, you should probably do some backups or have some tools for that. Like they're thinking of a more day to day user than right. what I'm typically designing for or designing for myself. 
but they've also managed to include some of the retro stuff that I, as a longtime hardcore Linux user, love. You know, like they've got like some of the stuff that made old Linux desktops the best, like screensavers. You talking about Xize? Yeah, Xize is in there. They've got screen. They've got X screensavers in there. They're not even for better or for worse, right? They're not even dicking around with Wayland, right? It's just, it's, it's just. They're honest about what they are. They are tried and true Linux, and they've taken ideas that have worked in the past, and they've kept them integrated into their desktop instead of getting rid of them. And as a team, they've just opted to take on more and more work, more and more responsibility. And a couple of years ago, I thought, well, this is only going to last for so long. They're going to burn out. But here we two, three years later, they're still doing it. It's like you, you almost said something there where it's like, uh, you know, you kind of get out of like the, the Linux hipster scene a bit with me. You know, they're not necessarily deploying the coolest thing or, you know, kind of going to shame you about not yet having switched to Pipewire, but but you get you get a nice Linux experience still. Yeah, you get a machine, you turn on and it works. And tomorrow when you turn it on, it's going to work. And if it doesn't, you got time shift. That's appealing, right? It's kind of... In a way, they're going about a different way of solving what Nix is solving for me. Okay, well, you know, as you very you put on various hats and you nebulously think about what happens to a future studio, what about Cinnamon in the studio? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I what's your hesitation? I like Cinnamon. I just like modern Plasma and modern GNOME more, especially my current implementations. My my current implementation that I've set up, both my Plasma and my GNOME setups, are so freaking great. I've never been happier with desktop linux ever it's so for me i i it's not that it's not great it's just that it's not really my style and um oh, and you seem to be having a little um you know renaissance with the desktop linux seems like you're kind of back in a, a mode of like oh I, I will gonna i'm gonna spend a little time and like tweak this and really yeah, make tw- it so something i want to sit tweaking with. again i am mm-hmm. yeah i'm going through a tweaking phase and i love it because there's a real unquantifiable thing that i have struggled for years to describe on this show and I'm right in the middle of it right now. And it drives me crazy that as a professional communicator, I cannot communicate what this is. But I've just this weekend, because I was going through the Mint stuff and I was testing just testing different hardware and I wanted to compare Plasma, Cinnamon, and GNOME. So this weekend, I deployed NixOS with Plasma on the Dev1. Oh. And it was good, but modern Linux... There's something that Gnome Shell is doing where it feels like it's all one OS and Plasma feels like a desktop window system on top of my Linux box. Like I can feel like there's the Plasma layer and then there's the Linux layer, which is good. In fact, I could even see why people prefer that in some cases, right? Mm, Yeah. But when I, when I'm using Gnome, on modern Linux with the latest like systemd, latest kernel, latest Wayland, latest GNOME stack, latest GTK, everything's totally like current. It feels like one cohesive OS like Mac OS does, or even FreeBSD does to a degree. But of course, FreeBSD doesn't once you get into the window manager. But <laughs> it's all just one smooth, slick experience that it it just feels like everything's communicating in a good way and i just can't better i can't describe it better than that but do you kind of get what i'm saying and so i just don't get that with anything but gnome shell right now no that's fair i mean i think you have a particular sensitivity to <laughs> some of the you know just how your desktop <laughs> the interactivity that you're presented with when you're sitting at at your computer trying to get work done i wonder if that's would you say the same in like a in the studio environment or something else like that? i think it doesn't matter t- as much there yeah i think maybe you're talking about like your primary workstation yeah yeah so Cinnamon just didn't give me that feeling. Uh, and I don't know, I don't have a great way to describe it, but I just don't get that 
kind of connection like I do where it feels like and faster. Like with Gnome Shell, it feels like I'm closer to the metal. I don't know why. Maybe because everything's running in Wayland and it's just super smooth right now. But um, that's just my thing. And it wouldn't stop me from using it on a on a budget machine. I think it, I think Cinnamon would do great on there. Um, I'm curious, Brentley. I know you had a chance to kind of take a look at. It. I think you had a you know a few thoughts. What what was your takeaway from the latest Mint and where you think it kind of fits in? Well, I have quite a bit of history with Mint actually that I thought would be related to this uh, these topics, and I I think that's important to mention just before I get to my experience, my current experience. So you mentioned low end hardware. I put Linux Mint on a piece of machinery, I'll call it, for a friend who had an old laptop that was a 4x3 screen and was a 32-bit a machine that I couldn't buy a hard drive for to upgrade. So this thing took an IDE hard drive. It was that old. But my friend was still using it and loved the thing and said, hey, is there any way you can, like, it, it was r- running Windows, I don't know which version, but it was extremely slow. So uh, she said, hey, is there any way you can kind of throw that fancy Linux thing you use on here and make it maybe last another year or two? And uh, the hard drive was starting to present some issues. So I ended up, somehow she was okay with this, but we strapped, like duct taped, literally, an external hard drive to the <laughs> lid of this thing. But it was an SSD, right? Okay, it was USB like probably one, but it still ran better than Windows was from the failing ID hard drive that was in there. This was probably Linux Mint. I think last time I updated on that machine was Linux Mint 19 at the time, and it just ran forever. And it ran great, and she's not technical, but she just loved the thing so much that when she bought a new machine, she said, no, no, get rid of this Windows thing. I want Linux Mint on there again. And I suggested other things. She's like, nope. I love that thing. So there's there's something to that like stability and it doesn't change very often, but when it does is just to like tweak a few little things to make them more stable even, you know? And so I think there's something really nice to that. And for years, at about the same time, I ran Linux Mint on my ThinkPad X220. And last episode, I recommended that as the low-end piece of hardware that I thought was, was worth looking at. And uh, back then it ran beautifully. I don't see why it wouldn't run just as beautifully now. You have or have not ran Mint on that box? On the X220, I have ran Mint. It was the second choice that I put on there. The first choice was XFCE, which I ran, I think, for a year. Oh! I, uh, let's call it an upgrade, upgraded to Mint. And I loved it for, I think, about two years. I just loved that thing. It was a bit more problematic back then. Wes, you and I were talking about how there used to be a... uh, I think it was a right-click menu or something for Mint back then that would re, reinitialize Cinnamon. Oh, sure, right. You could just uh, restart that. Restart that real quick. Cinnamon was, let's call it fresh back then. Good news. Good news, gentlemen. You can actually still find that applet. If you go add applets, you can still find it and add it back. It just isn't default. Yeah, it's still there. I like hey, why that, not? I like that as like a nervous tick. You know, you, you type LS on the terminal and you just hit, hit and refresh. Well, you know, desktop. now in the Wayland world, looking back and thinking, wow, I could just restart the desktop and all my applications aren't affected and my whole desktop remain. That's actually a pretty nice feature. <laughs> this X thing is neat. It's got some cool stuff in it. <laughs> so I would say that's like my background with Linux Mint, sort of a love relationship that slowly faded and then I moved on to other other things. So it wasn't mint, it was you, and you just had outgrown it. It's not you, it's me. 
Yeah. And I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, if you're using Mint, you're not a pro user, because I, I think the point the point we're trying to hit here is it's 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 abs- absolutely a, a totally usable workstation. And it probably scales very well on high-end hardware as well, I would imagine. Yeah, what's really impressive about Mint for me uh, is two things that come to mind right away is, one, the users that use it really love it. And you see that in forums, you see that on Reddit, you see that all over the place. Some, some people really love it, and I can see why, and I used to be one. The other thing I notice is that the Linux Mint project gets a lot of donations, like a surprising amount of donations. If you if you browse to their website, they they kindly list them all, I think on a monthly monthly sort of routine and it's very impressive how many donations they get on a monthly basis and i think that's a testament to how much they matter for some people i like this uh, wood carver over in our matrix room linux mint is super boring that's why it's been my daily driver for the last five <laughs> years absolutely rock solid <laughs> see what i mean yeah I don't know, Alex. Have you looked at it before? Have you tried Linux Mint before? Yeah, I did it, but it's been a it's been a long time, and I think I agree generally with your assessments here that Linux Mint really is the appliance of desktop Linux. You can just set it up and forget it, and just expect it to continue working for a long time, and that's really an accolade in this day and age. I think one of the reasons I like recommending it too for a budget Linux machine is not just because it's only for low-end hardware, but because you can recommend it to somebody and it's a full-fledged Ubuntu-based Linux. It is not a watered-down, like, tiny distro that has some esoteric, crazy little tiny desktop. It is, like, a proven track record team behind this desktop environment who has been producing, and like Brent touched on, clearly has a community that is supporting it that sees a lot of value, and so they're contributing value back to the Mint project, and it seems to be working for them. Okay, maybe this is an awkward question, but where does Ubuntu Mate or something like that fit into this right, picture? Right, right. Mate, I think, is the other question. I also could see the argument for an XFCE desktop if it's mm. maybe set up kind of more like a, in a Windows style. Um, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I think they both fill a very similar space, don't they? And much like uh, the old Steve Jobs adage, one doesn't have to lose for the other one to win. You know, they can they can both coexist. They feel different niches, maybe, but... I agree. Chris, you asked about my experience with Modern Mint, and uh, I think it's much like yours. I, I c- Comparing to the Mint of, you know, yesteryear that I was used to, I just thought it looked super familiar. I jumped in there, and I felt right at home in a nostalgic kind of way. And it was really easy to understand where everything still was because it hadn't really changed. I mean, there were some some neat um, options that you mentioned with uh, styling that pr- was presented in the welcome screen that I really appreciated, like highlight color that you could choose, like little things that I think are nice touches, but not too involved. You know, you don't have to get in there and, and, and really know what you're doing. So that that felt like a really nice experience. And I thought it was just felt super polished i was really impressed see that's saying something i'm curious because i mean you're our you're our head of qa i mean have you managed to break it in any odd ways yet i did try to install encryption through the installer because i feel like uh i've caught a few distributions um not maybe test that enough shall we say uh that presents some weird like edge cases but i haven't found any bugs yet and i I will try a little harder, but I thought that was, you know, that's something. You didn't find any bugs. I don't believe it. 
I can't either. I was out late drinking last night. So there's that. But um, <laughs> could be. Could be that. And, but yeah, I thought it was really polished and I was really impressed. And uh, I, I was surprised that that was my take. So there you go. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go there to get started with a free trial for yourself or team or an enterprise. That's Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Bitwarden, quite simply, is the easiest and the best way for you or a business to store, share, and sync your sensitive data. And Bitwarden is fully customizable. You can use it with your enterprise policies. You can install it on your machine. They've got a flat pack available. It's, of course, available for mobile operating systems. And the beauty is Bitwarden is open source. So you can trust it, and it is already trusted by millions of individuals and teams and organizations in their community. It's what Wes and I use to manage our passwords. It's how we also manage our two-factor codes and other sensitive data like um, recovery keys for certain applications and whatnot. It's awesome if you're a Matrix user and you want to get a recovery key in there. Just save it right in there with your login information. And Bitwarden has slick account switching support so you can jump between a work account, you can jump between your personal account or maybe the free software project you're working on. And things over Bitwarden are always improving. In fact, rolling out this week is Skim support. Yeah, that's I call it Skim. Maybe it's pronounced S-C-I-M, but you enterprise folks, you know what a big deal this is. And it's becoming available this week for Bitwarden to make it easier than ever to provision and manage users. Bitwarden just made your life so much simpler in the enterprise. And for all of us out there, that new username generator continues to be a real winner. Why not have a unique username, and a unique password for every site and service that you sign up for. Maybe you already know about how important it is to have a great password manager. But does everyone in your family, do your friends, is your business, your place of work, are they covered here? Are they using the right tool for the job? Maybe this is an opportunity to try it out for yourself or your business and support the show. You can do all of that by going to bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go check out the brand new features rolling out to Bitwarden this week bitwarden.com slash linux as always we got some amazing boosts and feedback into our email thank you everyone for that chris and i did touch on i think what was a little bit of a delicate topic so if you feel maybe a little rubbed the wrong way by the boosts well we hate crypto too it turns out and we discussed that a little bit more in office hours nine and uh, we just want you to know that you're you're still with us. We hear you. Yeah. And we have a rationale. And we explain it. Officehours.hair slash nine. Well, hey, speaking of boosts, Noob Steve boosted in with 2,222 sets. I'm a duck. D-U-K duck. Loaded with talent. Couldn't boost Coder without boosting Lup. Aw, thanks, Noob Steve. Wish That's I could great. get to one of those meetups, but hashtag gas for Brent. Gas for oh, Brent. Thanks, that is great. Steve. <laughs> and I'm happy to report we we're, we're starting to actually get some like details down in terms of dates on when Brent's going to make it here before uh, the road trip and all that kind of stuff. So it is happening and your boosts are going to put gas in that tank. So we really, really appreciate that. And you can't have him. He's mine. <laughs> yeah, are you going to keep him forever? I understand. Ah, right. uh, that's why you got that brand. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to we're going to have to mount a Brent rescue operation, Wes. <laughs> we'll break into the middle of the night. Come on, Brent, you're coming with us. <laughs> and co- coordinate it all on Matrix. Right, right, right. There you go. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. It's it's a double duck day from Parish Potato. But honest and truly, I am Robin Hood. Honestly, if you find a used laptop with at least eight gigs of RAM, 
you'd be able to do a decent amount of, quote, regular computer stuff. I've been playing Skyrim on a laptop I bought for 200 at work between calls, and it works just fine. Hey, that's great. I mean, Skyrim's not the most modern game, but if that's the one you want to play, that's all that matters. Exactly. The Golden Dragon boosts in with 1,024 sets. B-O-O-S-T! Coming hot with the boost! Coming in hot with the boost! <laughs> back in the day when Wi-Fi didn't work, I used Kubuntu and had to go right back to Windows. Ouch, yeah. Mm. Then I tried again here in the last three years, and it's been a dream. Sometimes... Linux is hard to love, but that tough love forces you to learn new skills and you appreciate computing that much more. You do learn more. There is something to that. And sometimes it's an angry learning. You're, real, you're like, this is not what I wanted to be learning right now, but you still learn. You know, here's my thought. You want to know what I think? Here's what I think, Wes. You want to know what I think? I, here's I what think, I think I'm going to find out either way. <laughs> All right, Wes, <laughs> I'll tell you what I think. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing that it's the hard way to learn. I think you need that. You know, yeah. it's good to have that option. There's easy ways to. You can't always take the easy path. That's yeah. right. That's good. Micmac boosts in with, oh, oh, hey, double 1024. It's 2,048 sets. Pew! Would love to get your guys' take on Manage IQ. That's manageiq.org. As I'm looking for an open source single management pane for my local compute management, as well as my cloud formation templates for both my home lab, which is a micro K8 on a three node Raspberry Pi 4 cluster. And then he, uh, he, he blames Hey-o. you for that, Chris. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am aware of Terraform. However, I've been hesitant to jump into that world. Thoughts, suggestions? Thanks for all the content. So it's manageiq.org for this uh, site. And this, okay, so this does have one kind of thing that appeals to me right off the bat. And that is. You kind of use one tool and you're spinning images for your box at home. You're spinning you're spinning Docker containers. You're spinning public cloud images. I see a lot of different platforms on here. VMware, Ansible yeah. Tower, Foreman, of course, Kubernetes. Yeah. yeah. Not, I've never tried this, though. I wonder, I wonder if our dear Mr. Alex has those. Uh, yeah, I thought that was my first thought, too. Is I wonder what Alex thinks of this. So Manage IQ is the upstream version of a Red Hat project called CloudForms. And I was sent on a training course to learn cloud forms as a consultant four or five years ago now and uh i spent the entire week with my head in my hands i i, I know who pays my wages and such i should probably choose my words carefully but i think it's terrible i hate it because it's for me i like infrastructure as code and cloud forms was everything the other direction everything in the interface was click 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 you know if you like guis manage iq is for you but for me uh, it's just not the right tool for the job and you mentioned terraform in your question and uh i just think you've got the answer there already like the infrastructure as code tooling is there it's mature if you combine it with uh some of the continuous integration tools that are now available as well you can do a lot of the the clever stuff that Manage IQ purports to be able to do yourself and not be tied into a specific development cycle of a product. That is great insight, Alex. You know, I have to channel the Nix Nerds Matrix Room right now just for a moment. And I didn't see that coming at all. They would say, check out Nix OS generators, one config, multiple output formats. Boys, I installed this last night. It is so freaking Cool. So you install it super easy on Nix, and then you have this NixOS generator command, and then you tell it what image, based on your config on that local box that you want, 
You want an Amazon EC2 image? All right, tell it that. You want a Docker image? Okay. Hyper-V? Sure, no problem. You want just a regular ISO image? You can have that too. K-Exec? Yep, it's got K-Exec. It'll output all of that different stuff and more. Proxmox, OpenStack, just a raw file, VMware file, VirtualBox file, Vagrant file. I mean, it does everything. And what's so cool about it, you just go about setting up your config like you would anyways. And once you get the box just the way you likes it, you run this, it outputs your image, and you can tell it for which public cloud you want or what you know what format you want, and it's done. It's Look easy. Look at you sneaky over there and generating a whole bunch of images. Sly well, dog. I was trying to come up with a way to test, and I thought, I really like this base, and then I can add GNOME or I can add Plasma, and so that's just what I did, is I created a small little base that I could then just add the different desktop environment on to do my testing, so it was kind of as close to the same machine as possible. Plus, you could generate your own nice little sort of like live Nix environment, but with your setup there, you know, just keep it on, keep it on your uh, little Ventoy. I hadn't even thought of that. Or a VM image even where sure. I could... Oh, that's so cool, Wes. Great idea. You know, if you stay tuned till next week, uh, Chris is going to reveal that he's got his own Nix-based distribution that you can download <laughs> in any format you'd like. For, no, 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 no. It's going to be Jupiter OS. We're going to come full circle from the start of the network. We actually started the, the podcast network originally was actually a Linux-based OS initiative called Jupiter. I did not know this. And it was, you know, don't call it a distro. It was a <laughs> Linux operating system. We were very, <laughs> Brian and I were really very insistent about that. Can you just like cat slash dev slash Linux action show? Yeah, well, no, not yet, but without, we would have built that in. I mean, come on, we would have definitely had our show automatically subscribed on the desktop, let's be honest. When that's what happened is we started podcasting and we realized, man, we're way better at podcasting than we are building a desktop. And so we stopped. And thankfully, the elementary OS guys continued on. And so you got Jupiter OS and all that kind of stuff, which was inspired from some of that work that we did early on. I'm just inspired. I'm not saying just inspired. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we did the podcast thing. So it all worked out. So it would be full circle now for me to start publishing my own OS. That would be That'd be kind of perfect. You just need to do JB coin next and then you're all set. Oh, how else are you going to donate to get yeah. your ISOs? Well, you know, I'm a big crypto guy. I love crypto. So, so yeah. I call you crypto, Chris. <laughs> Again, Office Hours 9, we, we address this uh, quite in depth, I think. Gene Bean boosted in again. Uh, 1,000 sats. Package formats matter because it's a pain in the butt to deal with all the variety because you can't just pick one or two even when using GUIs. Take Pop as an example. You can't install snaps or things from Homebrew via the package Pop Shop. Yet I want stuff from both so that everything is installed from somewhere that checks for updates. Sadly, Homebrew requires manual updating unless you drop to cron. So this is in response to a topic I kind of just lamented last week, which was why are package management and tooling and applications still such a big deal? I mean, I realize stuff never dies in the Linux community. We still debate systemd as well. But today, as we record, the number one post on our Linux with 725 upvotes, 282 comments is Canonical should ditch Snap, embrace Flatpak, and improve Apt. And then, of course, you can probably imagine how that discussion devolves. Nuanced? It is, yeah, nuanced <laughs> and informed, yes. You nailed it, Wes, yes. Good job. 
It's so annoying. Like, why won't it die? It's funny too because, like, you know, at at meetups, just hanging out with like people I know matter. that use Linux, it does not organically come up hardly at no, all. No, you don't fight over packaging. It's totally an internet fight thing. But Gene Bean is right in the sense that I think it does come up because it clearly is something that matters to people. Gene Bean also wrote in for a double boost. Seven thousand sats. Oh, I combined it because he had a double send in there. So that is a, but that's oh. a great, that's near baller boost. That's close. Not quite though, right? Close. They write again. The XPS change you talked about sounds like how Lenovo does things where you can order many laptops with Ubuntu pre-installed. Dell also offers multiple latitude laptops with Ubuntu pre-installed, at least if you go through a rep. I've just taken advantage of this at work for some special use laptops with built-in Intel broadband modems that work out of the box. Buying with compatibility is different in Linux. You can't read a box or Amazon description to know if it works with Distro X. You can know that for a Mac or Windows system. That's a fair point. You do have a little bit easier time there. I can't argue that. I do have good news, though, just looking at the Dell.com slash Linux page. It does look like they've added the new XPS at least I think it's hard to tell with the XPS these days because I think they make both models available at the same time, the previous one and the current one. But they have one labeled the new XPS 13 plus, and it comes with a 12th gen Intel processor. And I think this is it. And they just have three options, Windows 11 Home Pro or Ubuntu LTS. So I think maybe they were just updating the site and we had people sound the alarm bells. But I think it's OK. Next up, we have Gene Bean with a triple boost. <laughs> 2,674 sats. I think that might just be a double eat sats, right, Chris? Double eat. They write, I love our clone for getting stuff out of other cloud services and into Nextcloud with local disks, aka not object storage, behind Nextcloud, all the timestamps from Dropbox and other places are preserved. I, I kind of love the idea, like maybe you're not a huge fan of the Nextcloud syncing client, but use something great like our clone and just you can still get you know benefits of the next cloud experience but just kind of take that part into yourself yeah i'm also gonna give a plug for my pick last week that lets you do local encryption before oh. you upload it to the cloud might check that out too yeah alex i was for a bit of context here since you were probably flying or doing some meetups or something in a different continent at the time i was mentioning how you turned me on to our clone and it's changed my life in a little tiny way so thank you for that you're very welcome Next, we have a great uh, booster, Gene Bean, for a quad boost. <laughs> Not only did Gene Bean become the number one supporter for this episode with the amount of boosting that he did, but I think, you know what, boys? That's technically a baller boost, too. Because I'm a back-home baller. If I want something, I just holler. Gene Bean writes... I got a little excited sending boosts this episode, which is, I think, clearly true. To, to make myself feel better about sending so many questions and comments, here's an extra bit of leetness for Brent's gas tank. Thank you, Gene Bean. Thank you for your support on this episode. That is, you are, are definitely our, our top supporter this week. And also, thank you, everybody who participated in boosting for uh, Brent to get uh, him down to the studio for some projects that we have. If we can ever save him from Alex's house, continued to boost in. We appreciate your support there. Also, we recently were uh, sending some splits to the OpenSats project, which has been contributed to free software projects. That money has now been contributed, several hundred dollars there. So thank you, everybody. Congratulations. And then 
Also, one of the things that's fantastic about these sats that you boost in is we don't sell them. We kind of consider them maybe as a long-term investment. So it's a way for you to give us something at a small amount of value today that will continue to work for the network. But instead of just sitting there not doing anything, we actually put them to work. They help us open up bigger channels and they help me get um, Brent's node up and going with multiple channels. And just recently, which is a big milestone for me, I was able to open a direct channel to the Fountain FM node, which is just a lot more efficient in terms of routing and, and whatnot. So the boosts also are being put to work today to help us participate in that peer-to-peer network even more. And it's just kind of a great way that uh, we can actually do something with those sats instead of just letting them sit there, which is also fine. But, you know, we don't got stuff. All right. We have uh, a boost in from Prozac, uh, 1999 boost. Coming in hot with the boost. For uh, Brent's gas fund. And he says, uh, keep independent media alive. Go podcasting. Great. I I think that should be my bumper sticker. And uh, it feels like maybe I might need a bigger gas tank pretty soon. (laughs) Well, you got to drive back too, Brent. (laughs) At some point. (laughs) Um, Don't remind him. So listen, we're doing something just as this is a new segment. uh, And again, we talked about this more in office hours, but we're going to start tightening the segment up just a little bit to kind of keep the show moving. So we will be implementing a 1000 minimum sat uh, to get your boost read on the show. But we do read 100% of every boost that come in, every single one of them, which I actually can't make that claim for email just because of the volume difference. Uh, But we do want to keep things moving, so we will have a 1K and above limit for boosts to be read on the show. But every now and then, since we read all of them, we'll pull some forward. Crypto Kyle this week had one of those. He boosted with 500 sats, so just you know about half under the minimum, but I wanted to read it anyways. He said, I picked up a Lenovo P50 for just under $400 USD. Super powerful. With a built-in M2000M GPU, a Xeon processor, actually pretty great power and performance, and it runs NixOS great with ZFS en route with KDE Plasma. <laughs> that seems like a nice choice for something, you know, like a workstation alternative. You don't need it to be super portable necessarily, but right. you do want to move it around. Those are nice, those well, are nice machines. You got to figure, Wes, with that Xeon CPU in there, too, you could probably do uh, probably some virtualiz- virtualization loads. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I bet that thing works. I mean, I wouldn't bet it's the best battery life. <laughs> but if that's not your goal, I think that's fine. And then we got a bunch of thank you boosts, 210 sats, 600 sats, 50 sats, 10 sats, 600 sats from Ibuki, Resta, Castaversta, Burgi, User, 641, and 30s. You didn't get any of those right, but I love no, I it did anyways. Not. I did not. I absolutely did not. Thank you, everyone, also, who streams in the sats in the background. We appreciate you. I just had, you know what? I'm trying to keep it tight. I love you. Trying to, trying to keep on moving. Uh, I'm doing my best, living my best podcast life, but we really appreciate everybody that came in. Um, and those of you who also just stream them in the background, thank you very much. Go get a new podcast app, newpodcastapps.com. We love Fountain, Castomatic, and Podverse are our favorites. And then the nerds like to boost in with Boost CLI. I don't know if we got yeah, a Boost CLI. Did we get, I don't know if we did this week, but then you don't got to change your podcast client. Also, Breeze, B R E E Z dot technology. And one day, everyone's going to have this stuff figured out and I won't have to sit here and I won't be the only one talking about this. I do want to mention this is going to be on the longer side, but um, just to wrap this up, when we started talking about boosts on this show, there were 4,000 podcasts on the lightning network. Now we are quickly approaching 8,000. We've nearly doubled, not saying we did it, but the amount of podcasts have nearly doubled on the lightning network since we started talking about it here on the show. It's growing like crazy. So Why not grab a new app and try it out? Okay, I'm pretty proud of this pick this week, guys. 
You ever just need yourself a little FTP? It's pretty hard to come by these days. I try not to admit it, but yeah. yeah. The old file transfer protocol. It got the job done, Wes. It got the job done. But, uh, you know, running FTP, that's for your dad and, well, me, actually, back in the day. But now you can do it quickly on your desktop with user mode FTP. And it's just a simple, clean, graphical app that you load up. You set things like the username, the password, the directory you want to share, and which particular protocol, FTP, FTPS, or SFTP, that you want to use. Then you click Start, and you got yourself a little temporary FTP server on your box that you can connect to to transfer apps, files, data, whatever, super easy and quick. This feels like a weird for, full circle thing where this is almost like like an Android app that would do this, you know, on your phone, just a quick little FTP server, but now it's a desktop Linux. I mean... Yeah, I, I think there are definitely apps like this for Android, So, I, but this is for your desktop. And, you know, this is kind of, for me, strikes the perfect balance because I don't really need an FTP server anymore ever... And when I do, I don't really want to set one up. But this is so easy. Why not? And nice to see uh, for the folks who maybe are concerned, they do uh, have FTPS and SFTP. We'll have a link in the show notes. I think I might just have a bonus pick that I found late last night. You want to hear this one? Brain honest. So nothing I, good ever happens after midnight, dude. Well, it depends. <laughs> it's always after midnight somewhere, right, Alex? Yes. What time is it? What day is it? <laughs> right now, Where especially am I? right. <laughs> As uh, some or most of you may know, uh, our new website is coming along really well. We would love to get some testing there. So if you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.net and try to break it or think of some new features, that would be awesome. And uh, there's a little GitHub link there. And that brings me to this new app that I found. I was noticing, because we have so many great people who are contributing to the new website, it wasn't enough for me to sit down multiple times a day at the computer and get all the notifications of, of commits and issues and discussions and things like that. So I needed a mobile app. But as some of you may know, I lean very heavily on F-Droid. And I wanted to see if there were any open source ways to interact with GitHub. And I found an amazing one that I think is worth trying. It's called, uh, and Wes, I'll see if you've maybe used this before. It's called Octodroid. The, the way I chose it was that it's extremely active on its its own GitHub page, and uh, it seems like it's got some amazing features. So I, I'm, I'm brand new to it, but it has been working fabulously for me, at least in the last 12 hours. So I think people should check it, check it out. Hey, looks handy. I don't know that I need more notifications in my life, but if I did, this, uh, this seems nice. I love, I love when it's on F-Droid as well. You know, it's just mm -hmm. easy to get and it's open source. Why not? Put a link to that in the notes as well. All them notes over at linuxunplugcom slash 470. Hello. Whoa. Hello. Remember how That's we were crazy. just planning episode 400 and that seemed like a lot of work? And now... Should we start fermenting something? Yeah, we better. Yeah, we better start brewing now is what I'm saying, you know. Whew. Let's worry about it after the road trip. Road trip first, then we'll worry about episode 500, I think. We got a little time. Deal. LinuxUnplugged.com slash JPL to get your name in that hat so you can come hang out with us. Of course, we'll also meet down there near the JPL area if you can't make it to JPL. And we've got road stops, several of them, like four or five of them along the way. And I'm always kind of putting my feelers out there and hearing where you're all at. Today was kind of a sweet day, I have to say, because within 24 hours, I heard from two long timers that have been listening since the very start of Aww. Linux Action Show. And uh, one of them I'm going to get to meet on the West Coast tour, but 
one of them lives in the med- Midwest, and but it was neat to get to connect on Matrix last night. That's lovely. And talk to them. So, oh man, I'm, you guys have really got me jonesing for the meetup, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for all that. You can also just connect with us every single Sunday. We do the show live on Sundays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at Jupiter.tube, and we have an open mumble room. You can join our virtual lug, hang out with us. We like to chat during the show, during the pre and post show. It's a great way to kind of get kind of a taste of the meetup experience, but from the comfort of your own home. So join us. We have it in your time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. But of course, I know y'all can't make it. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. So of course, we do have linuxunplugged.com slash subscribe. That way you can get the episode every single week when it comes out like a do. We never miss a week. And of course, go grab Linux Action News. Loaded with deets you didn't hear. Tons of things going on in the world of Linux and open source. We cover it every single week. LinuxActionNews.com As for us, well, that just about wraps it up. You can find all of our resources over at LinuxUnplugged.com and go check out that new test website. Let us know what you think. JupiterBroadcasting.net Thank you to our members who helped make this show possible. LinuxUnpluggedCore.com And we'll see you right back here next week. I enjoyed that. I'd still like to get more submissions on budget PCs, so do feel free to still send them into the show at the contact page or, or however you likes. I think it's still more we can get to. You know, we did get some some extras that I, uh, you know, we couldn't squeeze into the show, but I thought it would be worth mentioning them quickly. Dave suggested an HP MT20 or MT21. It says, my far below end suggestion is those. They are pro books that were marketed as thin clients. So there's another thin client's recommendation. Hey, I'm a pro. I want a pro book. <laughs> yeah, well under $100 on eBay, apparently. And uh, one of the best reasons to choose it was all of the different... Uh, my brain is fried. All of the different uh, plugs and things. Oh, and, the like connectivity and ports oh, and stuff. Oh, thank stuffs. you, Chris. Yes, thank, thank, thanks. Cool. And so that's one. Uh, we also got a recommendation for a $400 refurbished Ryzen mini PC, which sounds yeah, great. Yeah, that, that'd be a great machine. Right. ThinkPad T480S came in hot, which I, I'm I'm leaning towards There's ThinkPad. one on the desk behind you. Oh, over there. Alex is going to sell his if you want it. Well, it's Red, it's red Hat property. I might get in trouble if I did that. <laughs> we know the T480 is a solid machine, though. That's one it that is. we've had direct experience with. Yeah, Matt also uh, has a Linux build from a bunch of parts for sub $300, which uh, sounds pretty sweet. Uh-huh. If you want to do it yourself a little, I like it. Turns out if you try hard enough, you can. <laughs> and the last suggestion was a ThinkCenter M91P Tower PC. I'm not familiar with the ThinkCenters as much, but I know that they have been certifying the more recent ThinkCenters with Linux. It's a good mm. sign. I mean, this one sounds pretty great, actually. i7-2600 uh, with... Uh, 16 gigs of RAM and an IPS display and apparently open SUSE. 
Oh, hey. Hmm. IPS display would be nice. You know, I have to say, we didn't talk about it this week, but we covered it in Linux Action News. I think the Lenovo situation was clocked wrong. It sounds like they had a series of bad events that caused things to go slower than they wanted with their Linux initiative last year. You can probably imagine some of it's supply chain related. Some of it was driver issues and other things. But uh, we played the clips in, in land, but um, something like... Uh, 36 different Lenovo machines yeah, I think it was, are yeah. being certified to run Linux this year. That's Can you crazy. believe that? That's crazy. Yeah. That seems like a good sign. It's episode 252 if you're curious. I, I will put an extra plug. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed it over breakfast the other day. So thank you, two gentlemen. Oh, still hot. Thank you. No, I can guys. do that. You it, make it me a good blush. One. Well, you were already blushing because it's hot. But now you're blushing more. It's so hot. <laughs>